0: Grab or open your Bible on your phone, however you choose to do that. We are in the book of John. Remember the VCRs that you could play, like, slow motion? It's kind of how we're going through chapter 3 here. John 3. Three verses 1. 15. So let's just start this way. There's, forgive me for oversimplifying here, but I, I, hope, I hope it will make a point. It will help. I think we, we run into two, two ways of thinking or two opinions a lot. And if you're part of groups of, of people that believe in Jesus, you'll find a couple things. We'll want to stress the part of Jesus that's compassionate, like a friend. And this kind of thought is, hey, Jesus will find you wherever you're at. You know, he'll come into the mud with you. He'll come into the dark places with you and find you. Okay, Have you, have you ever felt that kind of message given to you about Jesus? Okay. And then there's the other one that Jesus, as this sets apart God, who, who can't put up with any trash from you, can't go into the dark places, who's holy, righteousness, perfect, there's no sin in him right? Now, the problem is, let, let me, if we're thinking clearly right now, are, is one of those true and the other one not, or are they both true? They're both true. And I don't know the right words to say this. The way that I like to think about it is just like, Jesus will meet you wherever you are, but he never invites you to stay there. And I think that's how it kind of en- encompasses this. But, but there's a way in which you look at God, uh, where it's like, okay, he's okay with me, stuck in my sin, in my pattern, in the mud, in the excrement, that can be life. And then there's the other way to think about it, like, man, i got to clean up my act before I get to Jesus. So, so it's, it's all of these types, types of mentalities, and what we know now, we have the benefit, right, of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, which were written for us to read, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that... God is so much more than we can understand, so much more than we can explain. And so the minute throughout history that man has tried to create a box in which they fit God in and create a belief system of that, they have always erred, and it's always divided people, right? Okay, so... Now let's take a look at this. Now one of these perspectives, we've gone through the story a few times. Which one of these perspectives did Nicodemus and the Pharisees seem to have towards God? What's that? Neither? Yeah? What is it? Can you say that again? He couldn't stand sin or be around sin. That's why they had the law, right? And all the purifications and the forgiveness... Good answer, George. Good job. That was a joke. Um, yeah, but that, and that's true. He didn't, he didn't have completely one of those views. But what we find with the uh, Pharisees is that. And also, please understand something, guys. We're going into this, and what was written in the Gospels, you had how many hundred years of, of what seemed to be silence from God? 400, right? And what's the message you would get about a God who you thought was silent for 400 years? That seems like a very far-off God, or maybe he wasn't real to begin with. That, that, that makes sense in human logic, right? So look at that, and then we see this. Now there's this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do, either, can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Once again, doing these miraculous signs, it caught the attention of the people as well as the religious leaders. I underlined these four words. He said, unless God is with him. Now, for me, what looking at this section of scripture this time, this is how I'm entering it. I'm beginning to see, yeah, that makes sense, right? God is with him can mean two different things, right? It can mean that God is blessing your work from a distance, I looked up the original language, and it, it couldn't mean either one of these. So, it could mean that God was behind you. Way to go. From a distance. Right? The God in heaven, no different than Zeus and all the rest of them, throwing lightning bolts when you do something bad, and bringing rain for your crops when you do something good. Okay? The distant God, he was for what you're doing, so he blessed it. Or, it could mean that God is actually with you, be- going before you, in your presence, do you see the difference? Yeah. So, I tend to agree with what you guys are saying. He didn't have a pure view of either one, but the Jews had a, a religion, a set of rules and practices, with, under the under, with the understanding and from the basis of this is a wholly unapproachable God. And I've got to do everything I can to make myself clean and pure and right before God. The, what they didn't realize is this Jesus guy came to tell them, guess what? You can't do it. Verse 3, Jesus answered him. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he didn't even address, I love it, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered to him, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? A okay, couple things here. The great equalizer here is this. Whether you're trying to keep yourself all cleaned up, or whether you've been in air leaning on the grace of God to permit you to never move or change, whatever camp you've been in, there's a great equalizer. Right? And that is, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from, to enter the kingdom of God. we've, We've talked about that in a lot of detail. To enter the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom, Jesus explained, is not Jesus taking over the kingdoms of this world and making them better. But it is Jesus and God building a new kingdom. The one that was intended in the beginning that we see wrote about in Genesis. And that it was coming in through one man just as it was lost with one man. And as Adam lost the kingdom, Jesus is building the kingdom. But as Jesus will later tell the people trying to question him... Don't get mistaken. My kingdom, it's not part of a land. I'm not coming from a land. It's not here to overtake that government. My kingdom is one of heaven, right? It's, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my followers would stop you. So the great equalizers, there's a new kingdom. It doesn't matter how great you were doing in this kingdom. It doesn't matter which earthly kingdom you come from. It doesn't matter whether you've made yourself pure by your good behavior or filthy by your bad behavior. Everyone who wants to enter this kingdom has to be made completely new, born again. And it's not an act of the flesh, it's an act of the Spirit of God. I mean, that should be enough, right? We should just go home now, I mean, really dwell on that the next 35 to 50 years, or 1,000 years, I guess, probably, 50,000 years. So what we've been talking about is I want to bring this to you fresh. It's just like, here's what you guys are invited. I don't care what you did before today. You've been invited to be part of the kingdom of God. It's being built now and will last forever. And it's difficult because the kingdoms of this world will try to recruit you. And they look good. They got cookies, okay? It's like, come to the dark side, we got cookies. They they love it. Now, the problem with this kingdom, the other piece of that that we've discovered is you cannot have a kingdom without a king. Right? And that's what happened. There was this kingdom of God, and although a Jew or a Christian today would look at that and say, duh, there's a kingdom of God. Okay, that's great. Who's the king? Well, God, really? Really? Do you ever ask him what he wants you to do and follow his command like you would of a king? Do you even think he's present? And the answer is no. So you have these people of God who think they're God's people because of how how they were born. And they think they're better than the other people who were born in that same family, right? By their education and by their good works. And Jesus came and was like, I don't think so. They had a kingdom. But they had no king. And when you have a kingdom who has no king, don't you love that sound? I love it. That's like the kingdom of God, like invading earth. Right? My kids are all so big, they lost the belly laugh, too. That was the best, the belly laugh, right? Oh, man. So the kingdom of God hadn't, they had no king. For 400 years, they were looking for a king. So here's what happens when you have no king, you got lots of people willing to step up right? You see this in history, right? Anytime a king got distracted, there was always that evil dude that played a villain in any movie made about it, who was like, ha, 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 ha my opportunity. And that's what you have here, is you have all these people in religion, including Nicodemus, that there's something different going on in his heart, but initially he wanted to rise to an extremely important, well-known, you're the teacher of the teachers, you're the Jew of Jews, like you're the king of the kingdom that has no king. Right? It still happens today. So you get that, like, oh, the bigger church you can have, right? The bigger uh, religious group you can have, or, or maybe you can get into politics, or, or you know, money, or, or look a certain way. Like, I can raise to an important part in this kingdom who has no king. Then Jesus goes on to say to him in verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What's the big problem with this? Nicodemus has no experience in all all of this. He's not experienced the spirit. He's not experienced God like that. He's been obeying rules his whole life. He's been following some other king in order that he could become a king for the kingdom with no king. And then, if you think that's any different than now, it's really not. I mean, I fight every day people wanting to make me the king. I'm not the king. I'm awful. I suck at it. Maybe king knucklehead, but not like, I don't know, right? Truly Truly, I say to you, you don't get it, Nicodemus, and you never will until you experience it. And then when you experience it, it's going to further make true what was written. Right? They're not not independent things. Like, you're supposed to give a reason for your hope. You're supposed to give a reason why you have faith. You're supposed to give a, a testimony of what you've experienced and seen, and what you know, and that is in somehow a combination of what was written and taught to you and what you've experienced. And Nicodemus didn't get that. And he's like, Jesus is like, if I told you of earthly things, you didn't get it. So how am I supposed to sit here and explain spiritual things when you've got no experience in spiritual things? So you too, even though you're the king of the Jews or whatever, and the Jew of the Jews, and the teacher of the Jews, you don't get it. And you never will until you're born again. till you're born of the Spirit Then you'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you'll see the kingdom, like we talked about before, and then you can enter the kingdom. Like, come on, only God's eyes can help me see a ba- hear a baby and be like, oh, that's the kingdom of God right there. Right? Because if not, I'm just like, oh, it's a baby. And I like babies, so the babies are positive, but it's so much more than that. That little one knows, remembers so much more of eternity that we've forgotten, you know? And and so, that death and life that happened, it's where those worlds collide, right? Spiritual join and leave this earthly kingdom. And so something special is happening in that. But you don't know it if you don't have eyes and ears to hear it. Verse 13, then Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man.
1: And he's got to be thinking, Son of Man,
0: what... And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's stop here. So let's take a step back. Remember, we're talking about being born again. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is challenging them. And I I think he knows. I think he he knows time and time again as he encounters these people, he knows where their heart is. And I I believe that he just knows when they're not ready. But he still invests that truth in them. Right? he still loves them. He still doesn't condemn them. So I think if we're going to follow Jesus and do what he did, we have to do the same thing, and here's where it starts. I'm right here telling this to you, and a majority of you might be bored and not care about what I say, but even if two of you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, then that's great. And then if you, in turn, share that with other people who might not be ready to hear it, (laughs) right? Or don't care to. Yeah? Then the kingdom builds and it grows. And so that is great. Whatever you can see and hear of the kingdom right now, great. But understand, God is building a kingdom, and it is not a remodel. It's not pimp your ride version of the kingdom of, of America, okay? Right? It's not like, take de- or tear down this wall and turn it into a great room remodel type of thing. There's not America 2.0 that's better. Right? We can redo America a thousand times, it'll be America 2.0. Poop emoji, right? That's that's about as good as we can get, just as every other kingdom of the world. And so we might as well try our best. But we do that as citizens of heaven and residents of America. Aliens sojourning through this land, a remnant of the truth and the hope and the light, right? So that's what Jesus is trying to gather. That, and we're part of that business too. So then he says this to him, he's talking about all these things, the kingdom, being born again, he's like, oh, how can I get born by my mom again, she's dead, or, wh- what do you mean, dude? Like, come on, this is co- I know this is some sort of metaphorical teaching, but I don't get it, what, what are you talking about? And then he drops this 15, verse 15 that we've identified as verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Eternal life, is that good? If there was a sign-up sheet in the lobby, would you sign up for that? As long as it's on the right side. Chris, my brother, that is a very good point. As long as it's on the right side, right? That truth that everyone you encounter is an eternal being. It just depends on where they'll be. What's fascinating about that is I love that. However, one of the conditional things to us rece- receiving eternal life, and just so that side note, so you understand your eternal life spiritually starts when Jesus, you know, you he, he become born again in the Spirit. That spirit doesn't die. So it's like Josh and I are joking about as you age a little bit more and your body starts sucking, as we would call it, right? As a as good American term. That sucks, right? We would say that spiritually you're actually growing because you've been, even though your body's dying, your spirit is growing and learning and God is investing in making you more into Christ-likeness. And that can become contagious to your physicality. So you can be falling apart physically but praising God. Okay? Now, What this is saying, in order for you and I to get eternal life that starts now, and we're all signing up for that in the lobby, the condition of that is that Jesus had to be killed and then lifted up. No wonder you find where Peter's like, no way, they're never going to kill you, Jesus. And his response isn't, oh, Peter, thanks, bro. That was so kind, dude. He's like, dude, Satan. Get behind me. Like, you're about evil here, because they got to kill me for the good of all, all mankind forever and the world. And then he brings this metaphor in. He kind of brings in this, like, as Moses, and I, I know in, in Hebrews, one of the things that you guys will be studying, too, is this idea that a lot of the things that we see on earth become, you know, like a an representation or... Or they, they model something in heaven. And so that's why Jesus was always taking earthly examples and pointing to that. So he brings this up. Just like he has to be lifted up. As Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. We began to talk a little bit about that on last Sunday night, church. Um, now let's switch it up. I'm going to fast forward to John 12, 32. Jesus says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. And well, you're probably thinking, Will, why in the world did you bring this up? I'm glad that you asked this. Okay, you guys ready? Here's why this is important. Everyone who comes to Jesus is drawn by him. It's drawn by him. That's what Jesus says. I'll draw all the people to myself. And I know right in your head, you're starting to think of all these little theological boxes they try to put God. God is God. How he does it is not why I'm here to talk to you about. But I'm telling you, that if you're here, and you accepted Jesus, or you're on the fence about it, God is after you, okay? Like, you're born in this time, in this place, you were invited here today, maybe you're listening to this online, know that Jesus is doing the work, okay? That's the first thing I want to say. So for you, all you have to do is be faithful, Right? Outcomes aren't yours. We won someone to cry. Don't ever say that to me, please. We didn't. Like, Jesus called him. You were faithful and you loved people. And you told them the truth. And if they come to, to love and know Jesus, that is awesome, man. Good for you to be faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. But Jesus is calling into you. That's, that's part one. Part two, catch this. Because we're about to get into a metaphor where there's a staff and there's a bronze serpent on it and he lifts it up. And everyone's watching that. Okay? The metaphor could easily stop with Jesus on the cross. Right? Jesus lifted up. But that's not what Jesus said. What he said here is with, when I'm lifted up from the earth. Let me simplify it. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he came back and he walked on earth, there's something we refer to as the ascension. He went back to heaven. Right? Right? At the right hand of the Father. Where he'll rule until the day that God's, the Father's like, okay, go back and set all things right. Okay? So, what we're looking to is not Jesus on a cross because that's not where he is. What we're looking to is an ascended Jesus, and we'll get to that more later, but I want you to see that from his words so that you don't think I'm making this up. Okay? So, Jesus has to be, has to be lifted up. He's pointing us to a story that Moses and the Israelites went through. And Jesus lifted up isn't the cross, although he was lifted up on the cross. Jesus ascended to heaven is lifted up. We together? Scrambled eggs for brains yet? No? Okay. Just breathe. Right? There you go. Numbers. An exciting book that I'm sure you're reading right now chapter 21, verse 4, page 128, if you have the same Bible as me, then um, it starts like this, okay? So what you have is, you have here, uh, what's happening before this, you guys remember, the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. There was two brothers, Moses and Aaron, right? You guys remember Aaron, Aaron? He... he disobeyed, he made the, he made the statues, the idols, had a big orgy party, right, for the Israelites, came down, he was not going to enter the promised land. So, Aaron has died, there's been battles where God has given the land over, the Canaanites over to them. I mean, God is working miraculously. It wasn't too long ago, right, that he parted the Red Sea, that he delivered them from Egypt, he's done some miraculously powerful things, and then, what was that food he dropped from the sky? That they could eat? What do they call that? Manna? Manna Mexican food? Okay, yeah. Manna? Manna. They're, they're, they're getting tired of... Have you noticed this? Like, us as people, can we be humble and humble ourselves here a little, Not be humble, but humble ourselves here a little bit. It doesn't matter what it is that, that you get that fills you up. You will be hungry again. Whether it's money, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. How much sex is enough? More. How much power? More. How many blessings? More. How much food? More. Right? Like, you eat a great meal, you're hungry soon. Someone pays you a compliment, you feel good for three minutes, and then you're hungry for it another five minutes from now. I mean, it's just our appetites are unending. So God's done all these things for them. They're wandering around and they're getting bitter again and again, like, why did you take us out of Egypt that was comfortable there? So Numbers 21, verse 4 from Mount Horde, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people began, or became impatient on the way. Right, here they go again. And they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna, right? "Then, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents. You know what the word fiery means? Poisonous. Yeah, yeah. Which, I I mean, I haven't been bit by a poisonous snake, but apparently it burns. So it's like fiery, right? That's what they say. These fiery serpents. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came. Can we just thank you, God, for not like, (laughs) right, you get all grumpy, and then he sends snakes to, yeah. Thank you, Lord, for not doing that. And... he would look at the bronze serpent and live. you catch what happened here? The snakes came. They started biting people. Some people were dying. Others weren't feeling too good. Please, Moses, pray. He prays, and then this is where the timing of a story. I mean, how long, anyone else, anyone made a bronze serpent before in the wilderness? How long does that take? Right? Picture that for a minute. Put yourself in the humanity of it. Like people are getting bitten, dying, and Moses is doing an art project over here, right? Right. They had to melt something down and cast it somehow onto this pole, and then, and then if the people were bitten, they could look at the sculpture. They could look at the bronze sculpture on the stick, and they wouldn't die. Let me uh, fast forward you here. Let me show you what happened, okay? Legend is that they carried this bronze snake with them. And, you know, some people say it was the original one. Some people say it was a different one. Even when they came into the promised land, they still had this little statue. As a matter of fact, it it gained their worship. 2 Kings 18 says this, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces, check this, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, isn't this it? Like, we want something tangible to worship so much that, I don't even, I didn't find the number I probably should have. How many years later, if anyone has an idea, how many years later this is still hanging out amongst the people, and they're bringing sacrifices to the snake that kept people from getting killed. So, and it was called this, uh. Nehushtan, which means pieces of brass. So it was almost like an insult by this king. He's like, instead of giving it a name, he just called it pieces of brass. Because it was just a sculpture, it was just brass. And he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among him those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. But he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. And wherever he went out, he prospered. What I wanted to show you, isn't that fascinating? Rick, check this out, man. He he tore down the fake thing. The worship of the created rather than the creator. And instead, he did the things that were really worshiping the creator. He did what was right in the Lord. And it said no, one, no king before him was better in Judah, and no king after him was better in Judah. Why? Because he kept his eyes on God. He did what was right in the ways of God, and he tore down everything else in the way. His faithfulness is fascinating. Our stupidity is fascinating too, right? Yeah, it made me think of that movie, I'm not recommending, but The Blast from the Past. Do you see that one where the the guy thinks it's nuclear fallout, he comes out through this elevator, pretty soon all the people are are worshiping everything he said in the elevator because they think he's God's son. So anyway, that's just, it's a comedy, but that kind of stuff really happens. Well, let me go back now to Numbers 21 to give you something to really chew on. So it said that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. That's the first thing that happened. And when they came... It wasn't just to scare the people. They bit people. And many people died. So how is that like Jesus' time? This circumstance. Fiery serpents. These serpents bit people. These serpents destroyed or killed people. How how would that have been similar? Where's the metaphor in Jesus' time? What's that? Sin. Fiery serpents represent sin. That's, that's a great way of looking at it. I mean, you see that fiery serpents are these things that will come, and they're sent to destroy you. And if you look at other parts of, of the Bible, what's fascinating is sometimes it isn't as much as we like to say, oh man, it's got to be Satan that did it. It's got to be demons. It's got to be darkness. Or, oh, wait, it's got to be you. Right? Right? Or it's got to be me and you begin to hate yourself. Or you hate your brother and your sister because they did it. Or you engage in spiritual warfare, right, to stop Satan from doing this. But sometimes it's the Lord sends fiery serpents. The Lord sends things that are coming to destroy you, to test you, to cause you to depend on him. And I would say that was happening in Jesus' time. As a matter of fact, sometimes, yeah. The The Pharisees were. Yes. That's a good example because they called them, right, both John and Jesus called them broods of vipers. Yes. So oftentimes, right, and it's almost more dangerous to have a partial faith because then you think you have it, but you really don't, right? So sometimes the more fiery serpents aren't the dark and demonic ones. It's the wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. But it's also the kingdoms of the world and the kings of the world. It's also um, the abuse of our own impulses. Right? Across the board, men have spent their whole lives and generations trying to investigate things and research things. And science keeps finding that a little bit of something is okay for us, but once it becomes a thing of worship, it destroys us. Sugar, caffeine, fat, cholesterol, carbohydrates, right? A glass of wine as opposed to a barrel of wine, right? Sex with a spouse as opposed to being a prostitute, like, right? Yeah. Watching, watching a player show and binge-watching 17 hours of a season, okay? So many things could be fiery serpents. And here's the sad thing. It'll get a lot of us too. It'll bite you. And some people survive, and some people are destroyed. Look at the true life stories that you see of people, or even the people around you, man. How many people didn't make it? They were bit. And they were destroyed. And you know what? Right now, there's a whole, I mean, for instance, talk about famous people, right? That have a lot of uh, money, fame, issue, you know, all the issues that come with that. How many generations of young people will want to continue to be rich and famous just so that this fiery serpents of that fame and greed will destroy them? Suicides. Overdoses broken families, like, but we still want it. So there's that second question, how is it like our time? I I don't think this has changed. I mean, what you call it might be different. Like, they didn't have a cell phone. Jesus' disciples weren't like, you know, checking Instagram or anything like that. It wasn't like, hashtag with Jesus my homie, right? It was nothing like that, but you had other issues. Now, here's what's fascinating, something that, that I think you need to understand That really hit me. Moses prayed. Do you understand? Moses prayed and said, help us. Notice what God did and didn't do. He said, okay, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. What he asked him to do, the kingdoms of this world would have never commanded him to do. Anyone take survival? How do you handle a poisonous snake? Letting them eat your friends while you make a statue out of brass was not taught on that, okay? I doubt, in, I doubt in the time of Moses, right, in Egypt, I'm sure they didn't teach that. All the lands there, the Canaanites, wouldn't have taught you this is how you deal with serpents. And then he made the serpent. He said, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So God didn't take the serpents away? That was my first question. Wait, he didn't take the serpents away. I mean, it, you don't even think about it because you just read the story, but isn't that how it is? When you decided to join the kingdom of God, when, when you were brought in by being born again in the spirit, that wasn't a ticket to easy. wasn't a ticket to comfortable living. Right? Has I mean, is that your experience too? That's what this says. Okay? Now match it up with what you observe and see. The eyes and the ears that the Spirit has given you. What have you seen and heard? Is it comfortable and easier to be a Christian than being in our culture? No, right? Can we be honest? Short term, no. Not that there isn't goodness in it. But as a matter of fact, right, in a a culture that works more and more, you're just going to spend hours here listening to us talk and sing and then pay us money to pay the bills. Right? And you live in a culture where no one's got enough time or money. And you're here killing time and giving up money. That's like bronze serpent type of stuff right there. I don't know, right? That's like... But this is what God has brought us to do because we believe what he has said is true. We believe this is good. I believe I need this. So not only that, he didn't stop the serpents from biting people. Right? Like He didn't take them away, and then he didn't stop them from biting people. God didn't stop the the serpents from destroying people. But he gave him a way out, and that was, that was to, to look at the serpent, right? And then Jesus brings this in to say, that's what it's going to be like with me. I'm going to have to die in order that you can live forever, in order that you can join my ki- kingdom. So really, I think that's, what, that's the question that it leaves for me, is I understand that, okay? Now, maybe you can help me out here. Because one difference between what we're reading about in Numbers... And one difference about what we're reading about in John, as opposed to what we're experiencing in 2022, you know what a big difference is? I'll give you the answer. Jesus has conquered sin and death. He was risen from the dead. He's resurrected in power at the right hand of the Father, and he said, he had to do that so that the Father would send us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that, that makes us new and births us new in the Spirit. So now you and I, we have this weird situation, right? Because we're not just going to go somewhere to find Jesus. As a matter of fact, God himself lives in you if you're his. Because the Holy Spirit is with you. While the Son in bodily form is at the right hand of the Father. So what do you think in a practical way? What are two ways in which you can put your eyes on Jesus or God? What's that in his word? Yeah. Yeah. Call out to him? Yeah. And really what I should say is there's kind of two categories. Those are both very good. So one, if God is within me, then there's a simple act. Anywhere I am, any place that I go, God is. You understand? So no matter what's happening to me, when there's a fiery serpent in front of me, God is there. And I think we forget to think practically, and that's why Jesus, when he told his disciples, after the the resurrection, he's like, guys, I gotta go. Because otherwise, you'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, there's serpents. Where's Jesus? Right? Where's Jesus? i got to go to where he's at. And Jesus is like, this is better because I'm going to be with you. So one way in which someone who believes can turn their eyes on Jesus is simply just to acknowledge and and see that he's there and ask, call out. Lord, I know that you're here. I, I need to see you. Right? Like, it's not that you weren't here, but I don't see or hear that you're here. Does that make sense? If God is with you, wherever you are, he is. And when you need him, call out. One. Two, literally fixing our eyes on things of heaven. To know that he's physically there. Know that he's coming. So no matter what's happening right now, there is a hope of a future with him. There is a hope of eternity with him. As your body is failing. As circumstances are harming you or hurting you. Right? When the fiery serpent is in front of you, you focus on... Jesus. Oh, Jerry, I feel so much better now. Because everything will be smooth if I just focus on Jesus. That's a good sound effect. Right? Mm -hmm. No. If the poisonous snake bites you, but your eyes are on Jesus, you won't be destroyed. It'll hurt, right? Yeah, right? You'll feel the fire. Anyone feel the fire from time to time? Like, oh, right? Like, that is so cool though, but please understand this. Welcome to the kingdom. We got snakes, not cookies, okay? And they might bite you. As a matter of fact, they probably will. And you're going to feel the burn, but you don't take your eyes off of Jesus. And then if you're bitten, you won't be destroyed. How about that? How about that? Let's bring it all back. Jesus is making a kingdom. Here's what I'm, I'm telling all of you guys. But, and it's going to be harder for you guys. It's the hardest for you. Because you're trying to build a way in the kingdoms of this world as a sojourner And unfortunately, there's so, you know, we come into a world where a lot of you, there's so much medicine, they're going to give you a fake head pretty soon, and you'll just live for a hundred years, I guess, I don't know, right? But it'd be different if you were like, tomorrow we get killed for Jesus, it'd be easier to hold on, but you're going to have retirement planning and all that kind of garbage, right, to worry about. But you're going to have to keep your eyes on Jesus, but it's hardest for you, and then as we we age older and older, the pull of this world becomes less because there's less open to us. Steve, you're not going to make the NBA, and neither am I. Sorry, man. Turns out angry hobbit basketball is not in, in the NBA, and that's what I play. But but you see, but I think that's the beauty of it, guys, is understand you don't feel like trash because the snakes are after you, man. You don't feel like trash for where you came from because all of you are invited because of Jesus to enter his kingdom. Right? It starts now and it lives forever. And if you haven't felt that, why not ask him for it? If this is the line of like, okay, this is in the kingdom, why am I tightrope walking? Like, I want in all the way, Jesus. Like, you, right now, at the end of this, not for any magical or manipulation reason, I'm going to have Elliot, I'm going to have Elliot and Carson come on up. They're going to play something pretty. We're going to turn the lights down a little bit. And and what's going to happen is you have an opportunity to respond. Right? You have an opportunity to respond to whatever God is speaking in your heart. Or take a nap if I've bored you to death. Maybe another day for you. But, first of all, I want you to understand this. God is building a kingdom, no matter what's happened before this moment in time. Whether you think you've been as clean as possible, or you feel as filthy as can be. Like, Jesus has won the victory and can wash you clean of everything that's happened to you, everything that you've done before this day. And he's invited you to come into his kingdom. But before you come in, Right? Before you enter that, he's going to make you born again. He's going to awaken something in you. You were spiritually dead, but now you're spiritually alive in Christ. So from time to time, even though you have physical eyes and a mind, you're going to see things in the spiritual kingdom. You're going to hear a baby and be like, oh, there it is, the kingdom, right? You're going to see an opportunity. You're going to see the kingdom at work in grocery stores and coffee shops and in your bedroom and in your living room and and out on the street. You're going to see the kingdom of God at work because it is. It's growing and it's building, and it has nothing to do with who wins elections. I mean, our prayer is that the people who are part of the kingdom rule this kingdom as well. That'd be a great thing. But that is not our hope. So you're invited to enter the kingdom, and it's expensive. It's going to cost you everything. But you'll get so much more back. So here's what you could do. You could start by this. Lord, man, I I want, maybe you haven't felt, haven't seen, haven't heard his kingdom, and you want to. Ask Just take this time to say, Lord, I want to be aware of your kingdom all around me. I want to enter into it. I want to see your kingdom and enter it. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you just don't even feel reborn spiritually. So maybe maybe you simply pray right now like, Lord, I I believe. I, I need to be born again in the Spirit. I need you to set up residence in me I need you to fill me with your spirit so that I have eyes to see and ears to hear maybe you've done all that and you're just getting bit I mean it's worse than the mosquitoes out there and you needed to hear a little bit like that's okay turn your eyes on Jesus Maybe your prayer is, I just want to see you. I'm turning my face to you, Lord. I'm focusing on you. So that every fiery serpent in front of me, even if it bites me, will not destroy me. So let me just start this with prayer. And then I I won't say amen because we're just going to keep praying. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I'm so glad, grateful to be talking with them and to be part of this gathering of those that you've brought together Lord I pray for anyone here who, who just never felt the filling of the Holy Spirit Jesus I pray that now you would send your Holy Spirit to fill them just, just come over them and fill them with your spirit so that their eyes are different that their ears are different that they can see what you see hear what you hear can hear and know your voice Please, Jesus, I ask that. And Jesus, show us your kingdom. Let us see your kingdom. Let us hear your kingdom. Invite us to enter your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, give us the courage and the strength to walk into it. We want to be a people who in the snakes are biting and you're like, build a statue on a stick. We would do it. us to see and hear your kingdom. Lord, the last thing I ask is just that you would encourage all the brothers and sisters here, Lord, who are taking on the fiery serpents, all the circumstances in front of them, that you haven't taken away from them. If they're facing it, I know that you want them to face it. So I pray that they would turn their eyes and their ears to you, that you would show them. And speak to them and help them through this. That as those serpents bite, they would just keep their eyes on you. They would keep doing what you were doing. And just like Hezekiah, they would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that he would bless them everywhere that they go. I give this time, Lord, to do your work as you see